Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. With the pandemic, having to be able to interact without having to go to a place or being person with someone, the local government, they were reaching out to us. What the hell do we do? How do we adapt to such a drastic change in reality? And which are easy, follow us. Welcome to Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels and events dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. We've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward for over five years. And we want to thank our show sponsors who helped to make this happen. Armis, First Health Advisors, Meditech, Transparent, and Uperform. We thank them for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to one more episode of This Week Health. This month, we are celebrating Hispanic heritage. And as you all know, or may not know, I was born and raised in Mexico. And during this time, I like to recognize our Hispanic talent. Today's guest is no exception. Jose is a technology leader for the Colorado Cross Disability Coalition. And he has been part of our community for a few years now. He was born and raised in Guatemala, where he finished his degree in law and computer science. He speaks four languages. He's a board member of Grupo Vida. He is a chairman board director of RMHS. He's a co-chair of the Colorado Department of Healthcare and Financing. And I could go on and on, by the way. He is extremely innovative, and he is a big advocate for our, our representative community. So, Jose, welcome to our segment. Thank you for sharing this space with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Of course. It's a pleasure. It's really a pleasure and an honor. And I want to start with asking you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? And yeah, just start with that. Let's start with that. You did a good job already. <laughs> so, so yes, I was born in Guatemala. My name is Jose Torres Vega. And for the last 10 years, I have represented the disability community. For the last 15 years, I have represented the Latino disability community with El Grupo Vida, with CCDC, with ADAPT, with the, the Colorado Medicaid program and many other subtasks doing that work, you know. So I'm an IT manager. I am also a webmaster, a programmer, an attorney advocate, a chairman for two boards. So, you know, I do a lot of things. And I do them because I do believe that when you're given privilege, you should use it to help others. And I was given the privilege of becoming easy to study for me, learning things for me is easy. So why not why not use that privilege for my community? 
That that's amazing, Jose. And and that's what I thought it was important to have this conversation with you because you're doing a ton of things in collaboration with the city. And we'll talk about those projects in a second. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about your journey from where you came from, because you and I talked a while ago and you shared with me, you know, I, I would have not left my country. I was happy there. And you have, you had a so many accomplishments when you were there, but you were forced to move to the States because of the situation of Guatemala at the point that you moved. And also you were, since you were little, you were diagnosed with cerebral, cerebral, you see, anyway. Cerebral policy. Yes, thank you. And in spite of that, you have done many things, right? You would talk about your career. And so that has never been an impediment for you to do the things that you wanted to do. But it wasn't easy, right, either. It wasn't easy. There was a journey. So walk us through it, because you mentioned, you know, it's like jumping from school to school and then coming to the States and validating your studies. And it was just not easy. But why don't you tell us that story? Yeah, for sure. I was born in the late 70s, so 1978. And in those times in Guatemala, we would have our worst years of the war. It's often described as an internal war, but it was really an external war. And that, of course, made things very complicated because there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of poverty, no jobs, no, no resources for the government to run programs for people with disabilities. Education was, was starting to decline when I was a kid. Before that, we did have a really cool, really good education system, but it had started to decline when I was a kid. And because of my cerebral policy and because I had to depend on others to be dependent, if you will, I could not go to a normal school. So I had to be homeschooled for most of my life until I completed what in the United States is called the high school, right? Which for us is a bachelor's degree. So because during the first years of my quote-unquote high school, we call it secundaria, I had to hide several times because of the war and because of our intellectual and political stance that were against very much the government and the United States in that era, from that perspective, from Guatemala, I had to abandon school twice for, for an entire year. So I decided to compensate by doing two years in one and then another two years in one. And in the process, I chose to not do the traditional bachelor's degree, which we call it bachelor's degree, but use those years to do the what was allowed back then already uh, as a computer scientist and as a, a technician in law. It, it wasn't yet a lawyer because a lawyer requires uh, university years, right? The equivalent here it will be a legal assistant. But I was fully capable of performing those tasks. And then for university, I did go to the campus, 
the National University of Guatemala or Universidad de San Carlos, which is free. So there I decided to do what we call a license. Here it would be equivalent, would be a master's in also law. So I became a lawyer. I'm not, just by the way, I'm not licensed in the United States. I became a computer scientist, like licensed to work in anywhere. So after that, I came here and I found out that my studies were not able to validate here. And when I started to dig into what I needed to do in order to validate them, I would have had to spend not only years, but also a lot of money that I didn't have <laughs> to go through the courses that was necessary. And I say necessary. And in order for me to prove that I had a, a computer science degree and a legal degree, right? And I didn't like the idea of becoming a lawyer United States style, meaning that a lawyer here has to be specialized on one thing or maybe two things. We see law as a general statement. Yes, we do have maybe a niche that we like especially, but we don't become a lawyer for one thing. Uh, it's funny because I have a friend who is a lawyer and she says, I'm a one trick pony. I'm not. I'm not a one trick pony. I can do anything illegal, not here in the United States, but internationally I could. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. In 2023, to celebrate five years of This Week Health, we have partnered with Alex's Lemonade Stand all year long with a goal of raising $50,000 from our community. We've already achieved that goal and we've exceeded that goal by $5,000. So we're up over $55,000 for the year. We wanna blow through that number. We ask you to join us. Hit our website in the top right-hand column, you're gonna see a logo for the Lemonade Stand. Go ahead and click on that to give today. We believe in the generosity of our community and we thank you in advance. Now, back to our show. Yeah, that is very interesting. And that's, again, I, to me, when you were telling me everything that you've done and the fact that you're here and you have dedicated your, like you said, your knowledge and your connections and your network and your ability to help people. I mean, that's what you've done for the last you know, few years that you've been here, right? So you got here, you're like, I have to get them, you know, I have to figure it out how to continue to do what I like to do. And you're part of all these organizations and you're part of the one that I work. And so always trying to lead with obviously thinking about people, but also bringing your innovative side to do things better. Talk about the work that you're currently doing with the Colorado Cross Disability Coalition. What is your main role? What are some of the things, fun things that you've done there for the organization? Oh, those are fun. So let me start with this. In order to get here, where I am right now, I had to spend seven years waiting for my paperwork to come through, which I called it my years in prison. Ah. <laughs> Because I was home, not able to do much. I was able to do a GED just so that I could have that baseline, right? Through the community college of, of Denver. They were like 
Why are you doing this? That's funny because in there I started to make connections. That's where I started to meet people at a group of Vida, meet people who work for the Disability Center at our area campus. That gave me connections to CCDC and Adapt ultimately. But I had to spend all of those years doing mostly nothing. So I dedicated myself to even improving more my knowledge in computer science, my knowledge in programming. I, I learned all the languages that are required for Linux systems, for example, on my own. And I started writing blog, political blogs in, in websites that, that were controversial and continued and continue to be controversial. That was kind of like the, the pre-sequel to what I'm doing now. Okay. All right. So I started to being asked to be a keynote speaker for a group of Vida, not a board member yet, but just a keynote speaker or a guest presenter for some topic. You know, with time, I had some issues because I didn't have the support that I needed. Just becoming a resident, I had to still wait five years in order to be eligible for services like Medicaid. Because oh, let's face it, right, in the United States, it's super, super expensive to pay out of pocket for some of the things that a person with a disability needs just to live. I started working towards that. That's when I met Adapt. My mom had gotten sick. She was my natural support and my only support for many years of my childhood and even as a young adult. And I, she couldn't care for me anymore, at least not to the degree that she was able to do until then. So I was forced to look for resources. My older sister helped me. We found Atlantis, and that's how I got connected to ADAPT. So there, I met the national leader of ADAPT. And she took a liking to me. And she asked me to participate in a national action. I didn't know what the hell national action was back then. And I was like, well, you know what? I owe you big. You got me a section and voucher. You got me a tenants that are more expensive and that I can pay out of pocket. You know what? Whatever I can do, I'll do. Just tell me when and how high I not jump. And so I went to Washington, D.C. I got arrested protesting for, for, for civil rights for people with disabilities. I arrested again in front of this national CNS building. So, you know, it's there. And with the years, I started to take stands, stronger stands. So it was not enough to, it was no longer enough to represent blindly organizations. I was taking ethical stands. And so in one instance, I had actually fight with, with the ADAPT leadership because I took a stand. And when my friend, Josh Winkler, who now works for the good lieutenant governor in Colorado, heard, and because he, he was there in the meeting, he called the big deal Julie Rifkin and told her, you know, Julie, I have kind of bad news, I think. Jose had a fight 
with Don Russell from Adap. And she's like, what about this and this and this? He took a stand. And, and he's like, give me Jose right now on the phone. And so uh, he put me in the speaker phone and we were talking in middle downtown Denver in the streets. And Judy says, explain to me why you took that stand. And I told her, well, providers are not following the ADA. Why would we give them a free pass? At least they have to provide with the minimum that ADA says that is the the most, right? And she said, Jose, I like you. You know what? You may represent TCDC as you see fit from now on. I was like, Julie said that? Because I already knew about Julia Riskin. Everybody knew Julia Riskin. And it was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Julia Riskin is putting that weight on me? That must mean something, right? right? So I took a job later as, well, first only a volunteer for two years. But eventually I was hired as the community organizer. And I started doing some work. That adventure took me for the first time to save a Medicaid benefit that was for parents who get paid to take care of their kids because otherwise there's no one who take care of the kids. And if they don't get paid, they don't have income. So, you know, I use my charm. I, I, I lobby behind the scenes with the director of DHS back then. And I told her, if you do this to me, I'll be your best ally. She told me, let's have a, a private meeting. And I accomplished it. Because I was being the instructor, I took a lot of people, moms with kids crying and everything, to the MSB board, board meeting, the medical services board meeting. And so Julie was like, you are an excellent organizer. <laughs> so she hired me. Eventually, our IT manager left, and she told me, you want that position? You'll be perfect for that, and you'll be a manager. And I was like, a manager? Cool, I'll take it. So I took it, and ever since I've been doing that. But as an IT manager for a small nonprofit, you are not just an IT manager. You are a sound engineer. You are a video editor, specialist in electronic accessibility and server management, the infrastructure development. You know, everything. So, so for example, when I entered CCDP, we were tiny. We didn't even have a server infrastructure. In the last five years, I built that. And, and now we have a full domain with all kinds of security systems. And, you know, it's, it's awesome how far I have been able to take CCDP into the technological future. You know what the fun part of your job is like you get to do your advocacy and you get to do your tech part. So you have the best of both worlds, which is awesome. 
and we get to work with you, which is amazing because you represent, again, it's not just about talking, I like about things that we need to do. I mean, you understand the complexity and the challenges and you're pushing for those policies that can help, again, those people that are not represented that need assistance, right? And going to that, you mentioned to me that there is an initiative that you're leading that is Technology Equity for Colorado. And what do you talk about the benefits? Because I know it's it's people, you know, not everybody has access to technology or healthcare or all those things. And this is what it's all about, right? Providing with people with the tools or the technology that that, that the people will need to either for education, but why don't why don't you tell us more about it? Yes. And this is not this is going slow. So so there's little news, I guess, I should say. However, the news that there are that are out there already are fantastic. Okay. So it started because in 2020 we realized, oh my God, we now have to depend even more on technology with the pandemic, interconnectivity, virtual world, having to be able to interact without having to go to a place or be in person with someone for your own protection and that person's protection. So they were reaching out to us. The government, the local government, the governor Paulus, was reaching out directly to us. What the hell do we do? How do we adapt to such a drastic change in reality? Mm-hmm. And we said, easy, follow us. Let's do this. We get the steps. Some of those steps were, okay, so providers, for example, like Rocky Mountain Human Services, have already the ability to telehealth, serve through telehealth, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to stay alive. That's going to keep clients having their benefits, having interaction with their case manager, and yet stay at home. However, some of them don't even have a computer. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or a reliable internet connection mm-hmm. in order to do so, right? So what do we do about that? In that moment was when Lieutenant Governor Primavera was reaching out to George Hunter, who was back then a volunteer for CCDC and ADAP, and also for CDDC, the Colorado Disabilities Council. He was hired by the governor's office to lead uh, the community living independent center, basically, of Colorado. Because huge deal, right? Well, that was no surprise to us because George had been the designer of the Medicaid buying for Colorado too, and many other things that he has accomplished. So it wasn't a surprise for us, but that gave us an in in the government. So two years later, he communicates with someone at the office, some really high office of the governor, and they reach out to me by name. Jose, Mr. Josh Winter asked us to reach out to you because he says that you are an expert in technology. And this is the information. We have this many billion dollars and this many years to develop a new plan for health equity, meaning 
to bring the internet and to bring all the expensive technology to rural Colorado. So I participated in the first few meetings and they were like, oh my God, I, I, you didn't know your, your stuff. We're, I mean, you're, we're talking about working with Comcast, working with Bell, working with Microsoft, working with minor providers, with T-Mobile, working with Verizon, with Boost Mobile, all of those companies in order to come up with solutions, creative solutions to bring internet and on extensive access to technology to rural Colorado for the first time in history. That's amazing. Jose, seriously, I'm so excited again that you're part of our tech team uh, as a community, right? Because again, you firsthand, you talk about the, the needs and the reason that you mentioned that reach out to you is like, we've been doing this for years. You know, when people have disabilities, we have to figure out a way to function. We can go to the office every day. So when the pandemic happened, you're like, this is easy, people. You know, we, this is what we need to do, right? You've been doing it for years. So for you, yeah. it was easy. For us, it was like, how are we going to function as a community? But anyway, we have a few minutes left. Anything else that you want to share with us for, like, just closing remarks, anything you want to share with us in terms of ways to accomplish better things to get, whatever you want to say to our audience? Well, we are in a historical moment, I think, especially in Colorado, because we have for the first time a governor who is gay, who truly believes in human rights, not just for the LGBTQ2 plus community, but also for the disability community, for the Latino community, BIPOC communities in general, I'm taking advantage of that. There are some opportunities that have been presented to me, and I have said yes to some of them already. I've been, I'm actually doing some work to, for BIPOC communities, and to the point that HICPA, Department of Healthcare, where Medicaid is managed for Colorado, has an initiative for health equity. And it is their full intention to have people like me, people like Julissa Soto, people like, you know, for example, you, I'm not saying you specifically, but someone like you, you know, give them input to make true changes for the first time in history. And even though we are facing a crisis, because we have more influx, I should say, of people who are coming from other countries, the city, the state is actually working towards protecting them rather than discriminating them or saying no to them, which is a very unique situation to be on. And all of that makes me happy because although it does keep me really busy. Yeah, I, I'm sure we're going to keep you really busy. And I really want to thank you for sharing all this opportunities that we have as, again, as a country and as a community to collaborate, to help people. And thank you so much again for the time. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon because we'll be seeing each other. All right. Completely. <laughs> thank you, Jose. My pleasure.
I love this show. I love hearing what workers and leaders on the front lines are doing. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. If you want to support This Week Health, the best way to do that is to let someone else know that you are listening to the show and clue them into it. We have two channels, as you know, This Week Health Conference and This Week Health Newsroom. You can check them out today and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find them on our website, thisweekhealth.com and subscribe there as well. We also want to thank our show partners, Armis, First Health Advisors, Meditech, Transparent, and You Perform for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.